Question what? for you. What is it? Are you a size 14? <laughs> what are we watching this week? Movie Tales. I'll have what she's having. Hosted by Mark, Jeff, and Nick. Round up the usual suspect. Three lifelong friends who all dropped out of film school because they all figured out they loved watching movies more than making them. Are you not entertained? Gretchen, stop trying to make fetch happen. These cinephiles review and reveal widely unknown factoids, lore, myths, trivia, and cultural impact of the movie. Mostly funny. I'm your huckleberry. Sometimes serious. I'm going to make them an offer again with you. Definitely interesting insight into the best movies we only thought we knew. He's looking at you, kid. Well, it is just you and I, and we are going down creepy memory, memory lane to 1991, and we are watching the classic, The Silence of the Lambs. And for those of you who need a refresher, I don't know why, so let's just leave it at this. Hannibal the Cannibal, Clarice, and Buffalo Bill. It's an iconic movie, you know the drill, let's get... Good evening, Clarice. Going. How are you, Jeff? I'm good. I'm excited to talk about this movie. This always lingers around in my mind as one of the best movies, like, ever made. Like, it... And it isn't the best movie ever made, but it just... It ling... Like... There's so much done well in this movie, and it's it's been around me my whole life. And it's probably been a movie that I've thought of always as, okay, that's what quality cinema is. Perfect. Well, let's. What, what's your moment in time, Mark? Okay, so my moment in time takes us back to 1992 and the Oscars. Okay. My mom was in a work pool. And where she had to, like, fill out who she thought was going to win for these Oscars. Okay. And I was only nine years old. Yeah, so. you're pretty You're pretty young. So had, had, she, you, had you seen so, Silence of the Lambs before No, not this? at all. Not at all. Okay. No, 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 no. And I didn't see it then either. So, But this is where the, the beginning of my of Silence of the Lambs lore comes from, I, I guess you would say, right? Perfect, yeah. And so... The hot movie that year was Bugsy. It was not Silence of the Lambs. It, it was, uh, every, everybody thought, you know, Bugsy was going to be the movie that, that won all the awards. Yeah, it was supposed to clean up, right? Yeah, it was like... yeah. And, uh, and it's, a, it's a good movie, don't get me wrong. I've seen Bugsy. But, so the night of the Oscars, Silence of the Lambs goes and wins everything, right? It sweeps everything. It's nominated for five awards and wins all five, right, Jeff? Well, yeah, the, fir- and the last movie to do it and one of only three and the, only the third movie of all time to win the big five, being Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress. Um, and Best Screenplay. And Best Screenplay. Love yeah. And what, and what was the other one? The other two, do you remember? Do you know the other two? The other two, yes. Uh, it happened one night from ni- in 1934, starring Clark Gable and okay. Claudette Colbert. So some old movie that we're never watching. 
Clark. Ah, we can see a Clark Gable movie. Come on, man. <laughs> Probably not. I watched Gone with the Wind. I watched Gone with the Wind in fifth grade, and it took us like two weeks. Uh, uh, Fugitive from a Chain Gang was a quick movie from the. 30s. The teacher got to use social studies in fifth grade for like two weeks by just showing Gone with the Wind every day. And one, for, one flew but, over the cuckoo's nest was the other one, just like you okay. said. Okay, so that I mean, the super iconic movie right there. One flew over the Absolutely. cuckoo's nest, and now and this one, obviously. So or anything or anything like that, but. Um, so yeah, so so then this movie became kind of like the unicorn early on because my parents, I'm, I'm like, I gotta watch this movie, and they're like, you're not watching this movie, and I'm like, <laughs> I, I'm like, well, why can't I watch this movie? I've watched other bad movies, <laughs> you know, because I've seen a bunch of action movies at this point, and, sure. and 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 so I, I don't think I got my hands on until I worked at a video store in high school. It's incredible, and every time oh, the thereafter, first, the first time incredible. you hear Anthony Hopkins just go into his Hannibal Lecter is like, yeah, uh, that accent, that classic <laughs> voice. That, yes. that it's magical what he does, and it completely is. I don't remember. It, I'm going to stay on the Oscars here for a minute. Um, full transparency, I do not remember the first time I saw this movie. It's a movie I I think I saw it in like middle school. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember a time in my life. That I didn't know about Hannibal Lecter, kind of thing. Right, right. So I just I'm having trouble placing that. But no, and I get it. Yeah, these Oscars. So first of all, it made me realize this is what the Oscars is missing, because a movie like like a crowd pleasing movie like this, I feel like would never win all five awards ever again. Like, like they would almost vote to make sure that didn't happen. It it. It's just, it's become, it's kind of the frustration of the Oscars. But, like, I was looking at the, first of all, just, it's amazing this film won. Powerhouse year. For it sure. Was up, it was up against Best Picture, and I'll just be, I'll be brief here. But, Boys in the Hood, Bugsy, JFK, Thelma and Louise. I, true or false at a trivia night, I could see a number of people thinking any one of those films won Best Picture. When, like... This build, this beat out Thelma Louise and Boys in the Hood. <laughs> that's like yeah, that's wild. It's and, insane. And Thelma and Louise and Boys in the Hood have both held the test of time, as well as this movie. As this so has. that just that just adds. And Bugsy's not a bad movie. And JFK's not a bad movie. That was that no, year as all, well. I think you could watch all five of those today, and like, and they would all hold up. And I completely it's agree. Also, the same uh, same year as Beauty and the Beast. So, oh, that was the year it was nominated. Oh, I was looking at director, actually. Shoot. No, that's Beauty and the Beast, because uh was in Best Picture. Prince of Tides was, too. I guess... Uh, oh, Thelma and Louise wasn't even nominated? Um, oh. Actually, It or... No, It or Boys in the Hood weren't, just for director. I was wrong. So... Well, that's crazy. <laughs> Prince of Tides, I think we could have booted off. I don't know. I know there's some Prince of Tides. I've never seen there. that movie, but it's Barbara Streisand and Nick Nolte. Um, anyway, my, my, my point I was going to make about um, our boy and the push-ups. Yeah, that is wild, though. That bug, that, that's wild, though, that you just uncovered that. You're right. Boys in the Hood and Thelma and Louise were nominated that year for Best Director. And, and not for Best neither Picture. Neither of those movies were nominated for Best Picture. That's wild. That, that is a rare thing. Well, and those how, two movies are. Great I would have movies. missed. I would miss, and after this, I won't. But I would have missed that in a trivia contest. I would have guessed both those movies would have been nominated for Best Picture. That, yeah. that's insane. And yeah, what a just. So I mean, like, they, they, they were Beauty and the Beast year. and Prince of Tides replaced those two, and yep, 
And that was before they had animated. They had the animated award. And Beauty and the Beast is a powerhouse, so I have no issue with that anyways. But, yeah, and then Best Actor you were talking about, right? Yeah, so here's my question. Anthony Hopkins wins Best Actor. He's in this movie, like, eight minutes. <laughs> More than that, but it, like, his screen time is super small. Now, it's a rock house performance. I, I'll i never know, like, I guess the studio gets to decide if they nominate him for Supporting or Best Actor. But... My, my little, uh, like, rewriting Hollywood history story would be uh, he arguably costs some great actor and won another Oscar. Because a stacked cast, again, it was either Nick Nolte, Robin Williams, or Robert Warren Beatty, or Robert De Niro. Uh, like, De Niro could have easily won for Cape Fear. And I honestly think Beatty or Williams could have run one for their two, for either the Fisher King or Bugsy. Yeah, Bugsy but was the favorite for all of these. I just remember that. But There's no way that Hopkins doesn't win if he's in supporting. And if that happens, we never get Jack Palance and the push-ups. That's true. Coming full circle <laughs> so back to the push-ups. everything happens for a reason. Everything does happen for a reason. Well, here's what I'm going to say about Hopkins winning Best Actors. It was interesting what EW had to say. They just, they, they, I'll just quote them. They said, have the years diminished Anthony Hopkins' star turn as Hannibal the Cannibal? Maybe. But Hopkins returned to the part twice, gleefully unrestrained in Hannibal, altogether too restrained in Red Dragon. Also not helping matters, every fictional serial killer and practically every fictional psycho post-silence owes some debt to Hopkins' radical performance. And that couldn't have been more true. I almost agree with every word of that. That was a great so, point, Mark. It, it was, because I, I thought it was totally true, because we don't give it enough credit, and if we go and look at any type of serial killer, they all copy Anthony Hopkins to some degree. Oh, not 100%. The whole, not, not, not the entirety. Not they always everything. have to add something to the character. They have to add something to their character, but I swear they all start with with Hannibal. They go, okay, I'm going to start with Hannibal. And they build their way out. I. Yeah. No, no, he, he, like, created a genre of character. I Even, even like, when people play, like, the real-life versions of serial killers, I feel like there's some Hannibal Lecter built into them. Yeah, and what's crazy, that so that iconic voice, did you see who he came, who he combined to come up with that voice? No, who was it? So, Hopkins, for this performance, combined Truman Capote's voice, and I, I, I know you remember the movie Capote, and, oh, yeah. how, and how unique that voice was. With yep. Catherine Hepburn's voice, and I know you remember how unique her voice is because we get her in The Aviator with Kate Blanchett. That's and right. so he took those two voices and combined them to create Lecter's voice. And according to him, it he it, it was an odd choice, but it, it 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 worked out obviously for the best because those his voice is iconic. Speaking of accents, did you see that he made fun of Jodie Foster's accent? on set no i didn't to to put her on the defensive he did it as a it was a trick to get more out of her other performance or whatever to make the performance more authentic so right before the right be right before one of the takes he he said she sounds like a californian trying to do a hillbilly accent right and it sounds terrible and then the director calls action and she has like a horrified look like she's being bullied because in those a lot of those scenes she is being yeah. bullied by Hannibal and I was just like Sir Sir Anthony very strange yeah. um and she had actually admits Jodie Foster years later she barely spoke to him on set because at the time 
he was a very well-renowned stage actor. Yeah. And she, I mean, she's a very committed to her craft actor. She went to, grew up in Hollywood, didn't have to go to school, but instead she went to Yale to actually study like hardcore acting, uh, which was a lot of them do it nowadays. But back then that was kind of unheard of yeah. anyway. But she admits to like nev- being terrified to like of, of this iconic actor. And from that very beginning, when he kind of made fun of her, she's like, oh, he just thinks I'm just a hack and was like totally intimidated. And I guess he let it play that way because she's supposed to be intimidated by Hannibal Lecter until like the end of the film. And then like he told her how great a job she did and all kinds of things. So but obviously, isn't that cool? Oh, it's incre- I mean, it totally makes sense too when you think about how intimate each scene is with the two of them and how he's, uh, yeah, I mean. He's... Yeah, the only time they talked was in those scenes and they actually didn't talk then because the whole thing's done in close-ups. So they would actually shoot each actor at a time. Mm-hmm. And like, if the other one was in there, they were just kind of like taking five while the other one was filming. So like, they were rarely even on camera together. Wild. Because we're, uh, we're doing Jonathan Demme's close-ups, right? So we're obviously in the midst of what worked. And, yes. And, uh, um, and it, when it's just you and I, Jeff, we obviously go into tangents and we, you know, we we do. we're, we're not Thanks as for traditional... Hanging. Thanks for hanging in there, audience. Yeah, we're, we're not as traditional with our formats, but I know you're in full agreement that what works more than anything else is that performance that Anthony Hopkins does. And I wrote this. down three things, the acting, the score, and the camera work. And so when you talk about camera work, you're talking about Jonathan Demme's obsession with the close-up, right? Oh, yeah. And but, it, it works but, here so well. And not just a not just a normal close-up, but he's, he's unique to his close-up because... He has his actors look directly at the screen, which yep. is totally not typical, right? Instead of the over-the-shoulder look, so that they're looking at the other actor. So exactly. the next time all of our viewers that are listening to this, they're going to watch this movie and they're going to they're gonna be clued into something that you you clued us into because you found this. And, man, it... it, it Does it isn't you, it wild? Well, once as soon you, as you once read it, it <clears throat> once you're yep. aware that, that this is happening... But then the next time you see this movie, and this movie has unbelievable rewatchability factors, it's absolutely like it's just mind blowing how it's it's so it's so glaring. Then once you but you don't real unless it's called out to you. I don't like it was called out to me. Otherwise, I would have never. It was in a film class. It was actually called out to me, and I remember immediately going and watching Silence of the Lambs and being like, "Holy shit, they're looking right at me." And I yeah. think it helps create that intimate relationship with the characters. Well, it does, but in he he doesn't. It's not unique to just Lecter. It's every character yes. has these moments, and even when she's talking with her friend, her friend looks right at us at one point, yeah. and yep. so it, it just creates this real intimate setting within the film that to where you feel like you're a part of every scene. And Agreed. So with that being said, it, I mean, we're talking psychological thriller here. And so there's those scenes in the prison where you feel you feel like you are in there. And when Gross Mims throws the freaking semen at her. <laughs> yeah. That that you like that's that's startling. <laughs> like, there's a, yeah. So that's probably why some of these actresses turned down this role, right? Because Jodie Foster didn't want... 
She wasn't. She wasn't the original choice. No, it was. Uh, they were pushing really hard for Michelle for Pfeiffer, Michelle, Michelle who had, Pfeiffer, absolutely. who had worked with Demi on Married to the Mob. Pfeiffer was first choice, and and she found the content too disturbing. Yep. And but she'd have been so good, did, but I think Jody's. But better. then so did Meg Ryan. I so know. Meg but thank Ryan God also, they didn't go. I love Meg Ryan. I'm a huge it, fan. She would have. She would have made a terrible Clarice. So Meg Ryan turns it down because it's too gruesome as well. And then Laura Dern was the third choice. Uh, oh, I, didn't see, I didn't see that one. But okay. Orion, the production company, they didn't even think she would bring in money. So, actually, reluctantly, he finally agreed to take on Jody, And so that was probably even more intimidating for her. And, right. She's already, she's, she's, she's choice five. She's yeah, here with Sir, right. <laughs> Sir Anthony. Right. And, <laughs> and, and, and it all works well, like you said, to her character. I mean, even if you think, even if you go back to the climactic scene yep. where, uh, you know, the, she's in the, the dark room and you, you see the night vision and you just see her just, that's so, it's such an iconic scene. Oh, it's it? so good. It's about as good as night vision's ever been done it holds up every time you watch it every time you yes. watch it you know what happens and it still puts and you on the edge of your seat i was in my mind i'm my watching it this time and i'm thinking you know is this gonna look aged not at all it's it's amazing it it's absolutely amazing did you see where on while, while we're talking what ifs i might as well talk about the others you saw that originally gene hackman owned this property yeah, and he was set to direct. Direct. This. It was going to be his first film. Direct. <laughs> he wanted to direct and possibly play Hannibal. No, well, and, and then I was going to. Well, then he was going to play. Uh, what's his name? Crawford. Uh, Scott Glenn's character. Yeah, yeah, Jack Crawford. He was going to play Crawford. I like him as Crawford. Okay. I don't like him as Hannibal at all. No, not at all. Not um, at all. Yeah. But I like him better as Hannibal than the other one that Demi tried to get. Um, they pushed really hard for Sean Connery. So how, how bad is ha- this movie of Sean Connery? Is well, this movie's just <laughs> wild. So this movie, this movie unintentionally becomes successful, right? Right. Because uh, originally Manhunter was made, and it came out it a few years. And it came out fave, in '86. Critical five fave. Years. I've heard it's great. Michael Mann movie. Total dud at the box office. Oh, total dud. Movie's producer Dino De Laurentiis, yep. famous producer in Hollywood at the time. He owns the rights to this movie. Right gives or owns the rights to the Lecter yep, character. He gives it away because he oh, just gives guilty. it away because the movie bombed. Yeah, he doesn't even the, care. Such a dud. Uh, yeah, like uh, the man under sucked. You want Lecter character? Fine, have it. He gives it away for free, and then Silence of the Lambs becomes one of the greatest Whoa. films ever. And that's why the Scott. I'm pretty sure. I'm I'm pretty sure I'm right on this. The Scott Glenn character Crawford, yeah, is actually supposed to be that character that Robert that um. Uh, the character from both Manhunter and uh, Red Dragon that um, yeah. Edward Norton that yeah. Edward Norton plays, but because they don't have the rights to Manhunter or Red Dragon at this time, yeah, they can't use his character. So they had to create they had to basically rename the character Crawford. Otherwise, that's supposed to be the same character, and that's why the story continues. Yeah, and I remember there were some of these elitist people that thought they know, you know, more about movies than everybody, and they would come in and try to say Manhunter is so much better than Silence of the Lambs when I worked at Blockbuster. 
I haven't seen it. I've heard and, it's good, but I highly, and I would just highly, be like, I highly doubt that. I and highly I just, doubt that. Like, and it was just like they were being bitter Betty because yeah. Silence of the Lambs was so much more commercialized and became you know a it national what it was. hit like it's world. Well, and that they they re- it might be it may be better than Red Dragon. I don't know. I've seen Red Dragon. I've not seen Manhunter, but it is definitely not better than Silence of the Lambs. No, I can. Anyway, we're getting back to it. No, the camera work. Um, I think it really helps. I think it helps the performances. I think one of the reasons this is such a like iconic thinking at like acting film is part of Demi's technique. I think it really helps you feel what the other character. Uh, but let's talk a little bit. I know you want to talk a little bit about the score of this movie, Mark, and just how good the so music is. So what's interesting, Howard Shore does this score, right? And this was kind of his first film, his first big film. And it you know, it, he made his whole film career off of this, and he goes on to do Lord of the Rings, and does all the Lord of the Rings films, which is an iconic score. I know, I know you, you know, you're not, you're not in love with the Hobbits, but, but anyway, and, not so that I am either. Iconic but, score, iconic but you can yeah. you can appreciate, can appreciate good it. when Absolutely. good is good. So Absolutely. Because we talked about off pod how good the music was, and you mentioned it just now and what worked, but and i was like wow you know and then i saw that it was howard shore's really his first major film and when your first major film is silence of the lambs and silence of the lambs becomes what it does your career is pretty much set (laughs) yeah like no like silence of the lambs these movies if they have bad music, they're not going to be an iconic movie because they're going to be like people. It's going to hold them down. People are going to be like, "Yeah, that music just distracts from the movie," and it's 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 an important part of the movie. It really is, and it totally is. He, and they even they even hit the like the the score we're talking about right now is like incredible or whatever. But even honestly, <laughs> the music in the film, yeah, the tuck scene to uh, it's it's. It's a weird song, but yeah, it's called Goodbye Horses, and I, it's a cool song, but I, it's now for, it's forever linked oh, forever. to Buffalo Any, Bill's anytime I, weird. Anytime I hear that song, I see Buffalo Bill doing the talk. Like. And what's funny is I talked, so my stepdaughter, this is her favorite movie of all time. And we're Hopefully talking, not because of the tuck dance. We're talking, no, but I asked her, I said, <laughs> what makes this movie so special? I mean, when she was younger, she wanted to be an FBI agent, so... That's part of it for sure. That makes sense. Cl- Cl- Clarice just being a badass is part of it, and but she did mention the iconic tuck scene. Like she, that was one of the standouts as to why she mean, told it me is. it's and, it, it's it's in my list of favorite scenes. That thing is <laughs> her first tattoo is of the moth from Silence of the Lambs. That's how much this girl loves this movie. So well, I remember you said it was like one of your stepdaughter's like favorite movies. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I almost told you to have her come on the pod, say a few I, things about it. And, but... and then my my another good friend, my buddy Scott, who would rather me call him Beef, That would what he that's what he would like our audience to definitely know him as. Beef? And, yeah, Beef. And, all right. Um, this is his all-time favorite movie, and I said, what makes it so special? And he just, he, he, he reiterated how... How perfect it is in every way. But favorite scenes? What's your favorite scene in this movie, Mark? I guess my favorite is probably that first meeting between it's Hannibal so and Clarice. And I think it's because I I think you're then put... Going back to what I just said, you're kind of put under his spell as the viewer. And 
The it, performance it's... of both of them in their scenes together, I have often thought is the best, some of the best acting I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And I don't, it could be a credit to the way Demi shoots it, but it's, so what it, makes... I mean, it is acting on such a high level. Well, what's so neat now, because I don't know if anyone doesn't know this, but he doesn't blink in any of his scenes either. So you never see Hannibal right. blink at you. And if, if those listening didn't know that, that's now another layer you're going to see when you watch this again. But it just, it, it, it once again, it just, it, it just draws you in. And so that first totally. meetup, it's such a... It's such an iconic scene that you forget so much of the middle of this movie. Totally. And be, you know, I've seen this movie ten times. And I, you, you remember, you oh, remember. There's, parts, there's always parts I forget. Yes, I, I forget you, so many You remember of the, parts. the initial meetup. Yep. And then you, really, you, you remember everything escape. with Buffalo Bill. When yeah, his escape, his iconic Buffalo escape, Bill. and then the 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 scene at Buffalo Bills. Yeah, and and the ending. Yeah, both like, maybe so, maybe both endings even. But yeah, but like where she goes to the garage and well, you know where she head. solves the riddle, finds the head. You kind of forget all about that just because. I I'm not gonna lie, it, I forgot it the, and, this time and, around. And not that it's bad. It's not that it's bad. The whole movie's great. I don't think it's slow. I don't think it's. It know, is such an efficient movie. Yeah, I don't I have like any to complain. Issues with I like to scenes. complain about movies that are too long. Yeah. This movie is absolutely perfect. There's. Yeah. I don't I feel like there's anything we'll I can get cut to out. It. I have okay. one complaint. We'll get there when we get there, but it's fine. Perfect. So, what's your favorite scene outside of the one? I know what we just talked about is one of your favorite scenes. I mean, I guess that. Um, I guess I there's three, and it's really hard for me to separate. Uh, my two favorites, one, the one you just mentioned. Uh, I like the final scene between Clarice and not the phone call, but the final scene, face-to-face scene between Clarice and Hannibal. When he gets her to reveal about, we get we get our, like, story about the uh, the lambs. Yeah. Uh, when he kind of starts, when he kind of breaks into her, basically. Um, and I, I like everything about that escape. Just the whole, the, the blood on the elevator... The, the the skin mask the skin mask is like, crazy the skin mask is crazy and it holds up so well it does it, i mean every, this movie is 30 years old and it holds up so well and every time you're just like oh my god <laughs> like the way he just like the 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 op, the opera music in the background as he beats the hell out of those guards it's crazy. um it's like and it's it like it's such intense action in a movie that is intense but is mostly people talking that all of a sudden it takes the like the movie and it goes in it and this is a totally different direction because this isn't even the serial killer we're chasing this is like it it's so cool and um so those are my two uh, i mean I, I would say but all three of them are great um, any other scenes we didn't hit on that you want to hit on before we get into quotes? All right, Jeff. We got quotes. There's a few heavy hitters that hopefully the interwebs will provide us with some sound bites for our final cut of this. But in the meantime, what do you got, pal? I mean, one of the most iconic of all time. A census, a census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. 
Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's the classic line, right? Like, me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Um, and then you also said uh, towards the end when uh, you you love his their their final oh their yeah final showdown with uh, and he says he asks Clarice how the lambs stop screaming. You will let me know when those lambs stop screaming, won't you? And uh, and then obviously we talked about the last lines. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. <laughs> so good. And you mentioned it earlier, but the, I have no plans to call on you, Clarice. The world is more interesting with you in it. It sure is. It sure is. Why do you think he removes their skins, Agent Starling? Enthrall me with your acumen. <laughs> it excites him. Most serial killers keep some sort of trophies from their victims. I didn't. No. No. You ate you yours. Ate yours. <laughs> so, what about... <laughs> What is? How does it go? Put the lotion in the... <laughs> oh, man. So that scene, when he, like, starts screaming back at her, or, like, like fake crying back at her, or moaning, whatever you <laughs> yeah. want to call it. Yeah. Put the fucking lotion in the basket! <laughs> that creeps my wife out big time. And she's just like... That is so creepy. It is. It creeps me out every time. And so now I'm creeped out by it because she's extra creeped out. I, I get it. I get it. <laughs> um, so Buffalo Bill... Based Buffalo, on three serial killers. Well, he's really... They've tied him really to seven. Okay. Oh, they did. Oh, I heard three. Okay, but I so, like seven. That's even better. He... He's one of the most horrifying villains, right? And some two of the greatest cinematic serial killers of all time, maybe the two greatest, are in the same fucking movie. Yeah, for sure. Keep going. No, no, no. So no less than seven serial killers, and they include Jerry Brudos, who dressed in women's clothing. Okay. Ed Gein, who wore human skin. Ted Bundy, who pretended to be injured to lure yep. in women. And threw people in his van yeah. or whatever. Um, some guy named Gary Heidnick, who kept women in a pit. Yep. Edmund Kemper, who killed his own grandparents. Gary Ridgway, who dumped bodies in rivers. And Alfredo Bali Trevino, who killed and decapitated his boyfriend. So, he's the greatest. He's the greatest hits of all serial killers. Right. I mean, it's so wild. They, they just all these elements. I, <clears throat> I, I mean, I think some of those could arguably be a stretch, but. Um, I, I I see it on all of them that you said. No, I, I mean, yeah, they kind of back it. up. You know, they kind of give their rationale as to why. So. What. What about our what about our girl what about our girl Catherine when uh, Jody Foster shows up and uh, she goes and she says I'll be right back I'm gonna chase after him and she's like don't you leave me you bitch oh it's awesome right it's like, such an awesome moment like, it's such a fuck? great moment within the movie because <laughs> it's so true and. Like... Like, I didn't blame her. I was kind of like, yeah, what the fuck do you mean? Catherine's you're gonna be down right, there. You're like, going to be right back. <laughs> yeah, Catherine's down there. And I love that Catherine takes the dog. Dude, the Catherine, I'm team Catherine. 
Like, Catherine's I kind of a badass. She takes the dog. Come on, precious. I got a yummy, yummy snack for you. Come on, come again. <laughs> yes. I mean, I love that she, like, ends up with the dog. Like, the dog do is too. coming with me. What a, oh, I'm going to kill your dog. Like, no, her whole, like, threats. Like and Just everything about the, her and the dog, and she ends up, you know, the dog's <laughs> going to come with me. We're going to, this is going to be my dog. It's, mm-hmm. it's wild, man. Wild, wild movie. So, I guess we're at what didn't work, right? Boo! 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 So my only issue with this movie, I have no issue, so I'm going to be picky. And I hate the opening where she's running through the FBI training course and somebody goes and finds her in the middle of the training course to tell her that she's got to go talk to so-and-so. And then she proceeds to take like 20 minutes to get to talking to that person. So, so most that's, of our... Most- Keep going, sorry. No, no, no. So, so I really, obviously, it's not a big deal. It's during the opening credits, but I just... I thought about this a lot during this movie, and I thought about it a lot actually during this pod because we've potted on a number of older movies. For you and I, most most of our adult life, we've had cell phones. Like, we remember time without cell phones, but we were kids. Like, our adult life, when people have to get a hold of us, they've always been able to, like, page us or call us on a cell phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm fascinated by how this used to work. Because every time she has a fucking phone call, there's some human that goes and finds her wherever she is and directs her to the phone, like, no matter where it is. Like, is that how it worked? Is that how it worked in the 80s and 90s? There, there was, like, gophers that went and found people when people called for them at places? I know. And what's funny is I didn't even think about that until you just brought it up. And so other people... Like think I think about my kids and that must be really weird to them. Like, what do you mean? Right? Can I use your phone? Like, who does that? Like, or or there's a phone call for you. You wait, have somebody, a phone. Somebody answered the phone and said, "Wait, who are you trying to reach? Let yeah, me yeah. go. Let me go run on the FBI training course and go find this person for you." Yeah, or the phone call at the end. Yes. Where Crawford, where Crawford goes and tells Clarice, you know, after telling her how great she did and all this. Oh, by don't the way, there's phone a phone call. call. Yeah, don't forget you got a phone call somewhere. <laughs> like that. Oh, it, it it totally fascinates me. I like I. That's insane that it was that. Like, if I could just be like Mark. Oh, I heard Mark was going to the bar to watch Monday Night Football tonight. I'm just gonna call that bar, and it probably worked. I'm sure that's how people got a hold of people. Right. Everybody knew your plans all the time. That's weird. Um, <laughs> Anything not work for you? Scott Glenn. Oh, you don't I, like Scott Glenn in uh, this? He's fine. The performance is fine. So many cool actors could have played that, made that role, could have played that role or made it cool. Starlight, believe me, you don't want Hannibal Lecter inside your head. Like, I'm thinking, I think I, I didn't hate Gene Hackman. I think that would have been okay. Don't want him directing it. I like Demi, but um, as the Crawford guy, I think Woody Woody Harrelson would have been cool. He's probably too young at that point in his career. I'm thinking older Woody Harrelson in my head right now. Um, I There are so many just cool actors that could have played Career Corner. I was going to, do you have anything prepared? I have a little bit, 
little bit written up about our boy Jonathan Demi. Yeah, what do you got for us? Yeah, so Jonathan Demi came up in the Roger Corman uh, kind of school of filmmaking, which um, nowadays, like, a director directs their, like, little indie art piece, uh, and they're, like, immediately given, like, a Marvel movie or something. Okay. Uh, like, let's... The uh, the one that won the Oscar about the Wanderers or whatever, she made, like, a Marvel movie as, like, her next movie. Um, but back in the day, before you were handled a property as big as Silence of the Lambs, and this was big. It was a New York Times bestseller. The book was huge. You... Uh, you kind of had to like come up and Roger Corman was famous for his exploitation films. Um, and basically he did, I mean, directors in the, in his exploitation house did three, four, five movies a year, super on the cheap, super fast, super efficient. And it taught directors really how to hone their skill because they're having to make these movies fast, be efficient with like shoestring to no budget so then when they're handed a property like Science of the Lambs, it can be huge. Then Demi comes in and makes Married to the Mob. We mentioned that before being a uh, like pretty famous movie. I can't speak to it. So Something Wild was his first big hit, first right? Big hit, right? Yeah. In 86. And have you seen and that? I was with, I've never seen it. But it's with Melanie Griffith, Ray Liotta, rest in peace, and Jeff Daniels. Um, I could, I've never I seen could watch it. That. It's, it's just about a free-spirited, you know... A woman who uh, kidnaps a yuppie for a weekend of adventure, but the fun quickly takes a dangerous turn when her ex-convict husband shows up. Uh-oh. Um, yeah, I've never oh, the other that. one I've heard Stop Making Sense is actually a fantastic indie movie. I've heard just incredible things about Stop Making Sense, but keep going. No, so he just did something wild in 86, and then he did Married to the Mob in 88, and then he hits... You and then know, he... Back to back, Silence, Silence of the Lamb, Philadelphia. Arguably one of the one of the greatest back to backs of all time. He back to back best directors because he won best director for Philadelphia. Um, yeah, and well uh, earned. It's a great movie. It's a so, fantastic fucking movie. And next yeah. time you watch it, you're going to be thinking about that when Tom Hanks is staring directly into the camera. At yeah, you. right. The, <laughs> the, the close ups I'm going to get from Denzel and. Um, I'm just saying it changes that movie. It changes that movie a little bit too when you when you notice it. Uh and then he unfortunately kind of falls off. Um Manchurian Candidate. Music videos and stuff. Yeah. Um Rachel getting married is a good videos. movie. And that yeah, was an indie that was kind of an indie hit. And that was in two thousand eight, so And then he passed away in two thousand seventeen. Yeah. Rest in yeah. peace. Manchurian Candidate wasn't bad though. That's based was, on a no, book. No, it was fine. And... It was based on a fake oh, no, remake, film. right? Yeah, yeah, it was, a, it remake. was a remake. I don't know what the truth about Charlie was, but it might be. I so I I brought him up because I looked at this list. I love Philadelphia. I love Silence of the Lambs, and it made me realize I need. I like Rachel getting married. That I need to maybe dive in and uh, acquaint myself with a little bit more Jonathan Demi, uh, and that that was. Kind of why I dived in on Career, career Corner. Uh, we did a lot on his close-up already. We don't need to dig into that anymore. But fantastic director. And medal podium. Medals. Medals, medals, medals. What do I got this week for medals? I have... Honorable mention goes to Howard Shore. And... 
My bronze medal goes to Jodie Foster. My silver goes to Jonathan Demi, and my gold goes to Sir Tony Hopkins. One Anthony Hopkins. I I just couldn't not give him the gold. It's just it's his movie. And he's, he's he's not in it for that long. So he, but yeah, but you don't you think? I mean. You think of one person when you think of Silence of the Lambs. Or you exactly. think of one person first. You don't think of one person, but you think of one person first. Yeah. Uh, you think and... of that character. You think of that <laughs> like... iconic character, man. And he. Gets I could watch my him. Um, I, I, I guess could I watch would... him and Clarice. Those scenes between him and Clarice, I could just watch those a thousand times each. Yeah. Yeah. Like... And Jonathan Demi made those scenes possible. So it's like. Yeah. It's... It feels like all three people. No, because the camera works so good on it. It feels like all three people are working so hard. Hard. All right, medals for me. Um, honorable mention goes to Ted Levine. Some things just some things just can't be unseen. <laughs> and, and, and Ted Levine as Buffalo Bill. Buffalo Bill and his iconic tuck scene burns, music video. Burns just, uh, into your memory. <laughs> it really is. And then every time you rewatch it when it yeah, happens, you like, know as, soon as, he, yes. as soon as he comes up for the close-up into the screen, and once again he gets his close-up, and now he's looking directly at us and basically letting us know we're in the room sitting on a couch watching yeah. what he's about to do. Oh, it's so fantastic. He had to get honorable mention, but there's no room in this week's metal metal podium for him. Um, cause I went Jonathan Demi bronze, um, feels too low, honestly. Uh, but this one was hard cause it feels like our three principals all deserve the gold and I couldn't. So the acting in this movie and the performances are just so iconic. Demi got pushed down. I'm going to have to make it up to him with a Philadelphia podcast or maybe one of those others if we revisit him sometime. Um, <laughs> You're going to yeah. bump him again, Denzel and Tom Hanks. Or are so Philadelphia. good. <laughs> well, and that's what makes me... So, Mark, going back to the, his close-ups, how much is he enhancing these performances? Because I've always thought of Philadelphia as one of the best acted movies of all time as well. So, and maybe it's just his directing too, like... He's getting incredible performances, but it makes me wonder about that close-up trick. Makes me want to rewatch. That's for sure. My silver goes to Jodie Foster. That was half a minute. I was going to put her on gold because I just, I love her as Clarice. I think there, we just talked about with Hannibal Lecter, how many serial killer performances have been based on it. I would say almost every female law enforcement FBI agent since this movie has been made, has a little bit of Clarice Starling in her. One thing I kept thinking of watching this film was X-Files, which is a franchise, a show that I am just a huge fan of. Um, started in 1993. And there is so much of Jody's Clarice performance in, in, Jillian, Scully. <laughs> in Jillian Anderson. Don't, don't, you, don't you think? Like, there's, there's just... She creates the kind of tough, no-nonsense female FBI agent that kind of becomes a staple in both TV and movies for years to come. Gosh, I uh, guess it does. And maybe that's what makes Marg- uh, maybe that's what makes Frances McDormand so great in Fargo that she's not Jodie Foster. That she doesn't play. That she does a different version. That she has uh, a whole another take. Maybe that's why her everybody else is so special. I, I 100% agree with that, Mark. 
Because no, it feels like everybody right. else is doing Jody. I think you're right with that. I have no problem with that. And the gold, Anthony Hopkins. I like the five minutes I had Jody on the podium. I was like, "What? What are you doing?" Yeah, he's the gold <laughs> standard, man. Like, what are you doing? He gets the gold. I get why they put him in Best Actor because they're like, they they decided Best Supporting was too much of a was too easy a category for him that year. Um, and he, I mean, he just crushes it in this film. You imagine what the producers were thinking when they're watching like the dailies of this and they're seeing the performance they're getting out of him. They're probably just tickled pink, man. Just like, oh my God. Oh. Well, and it was a big movie for him because he really, he was much more of a stage actor prior Correct. to this he film. Had no, he didn't really have an American presence. Hopkins uh, like swept the gold for us. We flipped Demi and... And, and I guess Jody, we should give an honorable mention. I guess we need to give an honorable mention to Ted Talley and Thomas Harris. So Thomas yeah, Harris, Thomas Harris created the character. So Thomas Harris created the character, and Ted Talley wins an Oscar for the screenplay, adapting the screenplay, and he had a leg up because he knew Thomas Harris, so he was able to get a copy of the book before it came out, and basically get a head start on the screenplay and be like hey here we go i i gotta give a shout out to william goldman who super famous script writer um but also script doctor uh who jonathan demi showed the first cut of this movie and the first cut in act three there's an entire scene where the attorney general uh chews out Crawford and and Clarice for the fake offer and like what they were doing kicks Clarice out of school uh, they, and, and um, so she's then going on the lamb not as an agent just trying to find trying to find Buffalo Bill because she doesn't know what else to do and it's this whole thing about how they screwed everything up and uh, Goldman says cut all of that from the movie it was like 15 20 minutes and Demi's like, well, no, that's like the biggest moment in Act Three, and he said, just try it, take a look. If you like it, you can always put it back in. Cut it out. They said it worked perfectly. Mark, did this movie need to be twenty minutes longer with a whole scene about with the Attorney General lecturing Clarice and Crawford? No, it did not. Not at all. Less is more, and credit to William Goldman. Um, he's super famous for kind of like being a whisperer on what to keep and what to cut out in storylines and films. So it's obviously late and it's getting real late here, but uh, we've already pondered a couple of things. I'm out of ponderings. My ponderings have been already distributed over the course of this discussion, but uh, I know you probably have a couple tucked away. So uh, Yeah. Is, is this a horror movie? No. Thank you. It's always listed as the only horror movie to ever win Best Picture. It is. It was regularly found in the horror section of Blockbuster. Why? I mean, this is a psychological thriller. That is what this is. It is a psychological thriller. I, I, I don't know why this upsets me so much, but I, I know you've heard that before. That people have considered that they they use a ton of horror movie tropes, um, like kind of following, going into rooms you're not the supposed to go into, is... the music. 
But it's. it's I guess the problem is there's not a psychological thriller section at the video store. Right. So So, where do you put it? Would you rather it be in drama or horror? And kind of feels like drama, but I don't know. But it's not because of the. Like there's an element. And it's not action. There's a a terrifying. There's a terrifying element which falls under horror. So I get that, but it's a psychological thriller. And I guess it's. it's I guess if this is horror, I guess if this is horror, then Seven's horror. Also. Yeah. Yeah. But they're they're so. they they fall under the same genre of serial killer, yeah. psychological Zodiac. thriller. I guess. Yeah. Whole, Zodiac like, falls yeah. under that. Every, Zodiac's every totally David different. Fincher. Every David right. Fincher movie ever made, except for like, social like network. Right. Like, um, yeah. Okay. I get it. I just I had to beef with that for a minute. Um Lots of questions about Hannibal's escape. Mark, why are there no cameras in the room with the cage holding Lecter? After all of the caution they have at his maximum security prison, nobody was like, let's hook up one security camera in this room. Ah, like, bad idea? I uh, mean, I guess maybe, okay, it's so secure at this point. We've gone through so many safe checks or checkpoints that... We don't need a camera in there, apparently. But, I'm just saying. <laughs> but we do now. But Lecter proved we have <laughs> one for the future. There's never, yeah, they're never not going to make that mistake. Yeah, I just, it, all of that precaution at the maximum security. There's going to be one shortly. <laughs> um, the other thing was, so he just gets to order whatever he wants when he wants it. My, my, like. 10-year-old, 13-year-old nephews and nieces have to eat whatever the fucking lunch lady gives her. I like how Hannibal could just be like, I want my second meal, and for it, I want lamb chops. Great little joke there about the lamb chops, but I'm just, that's a, it was a pondering. Yeah, that's a uh, fair one. I had, I wondered if uh, Buffalo Bill was turned into a serial killer by Lecter. Did Lecter talk him into his first kill? And Oof. that's why he had the head. Interesting. Seems like a lector thing to do. Interesting. Wow. And and did Lecter get to eat the rest of the body if and and Buffalo Bill just kept the skin? Or An interesting pondering. <laughs> yeah, and those are my ponderings. I guess I have a pondering within the podcast ponder and did do we think Lecter liked the taste of humans? He had I, to have, right? To continue to eat things? I mean, my guess is it's like any other meat with the right seasonings. It's uh, it's just mentally getting over that uh, hurdle. And for him, he has such a superiority complex over other human beings Yeah, that... To him, the I feel like the ultimate insult to those that he feels are inferior to him is to eat them like... Wow, you really grossed me out right there with that whole seasonings thing. <laughs> I just pictured like like a piece of like a forearm like on a grill and just, you know... Well, I remember... Throwing I, some old bay on that thing and I always remember the I always remember that scene from the terrible sequel. Um, Hannibal where he's feeding that guy his own brains. Mm. And the guy's like, this is really tasty. 
You think it's terrible, the sequel? There's a pondering. You hate it? I do. I actually feel like it hurts... At times, it hurts my love of this movie. Like, I gotta, like, erase it from my memory. I I love Julianne Moore. I don't really like her as Clarice. But I think the reason is... I think she does fine. I think the reason is, is anybody but Jody feels wrong in that role to me. Um, So Hannibal was... It's too over the top. Like, this is such a nice, restrained movie. And... So Hannibal um, was 10 years later. Yep. Ridley Scott does it. And David Mamet. Ridley's got some... Probably a bad choice. Ridley David Scott Mamet is and Steven Zalian work on the script. I mean, those are powerhouse. What a powerhouse. I mean, try, they tried to make it. Well, and part of me... And we get Gary Oldman. Most and, people... I, most people actually think... And Ray Liotta... Most people think the Hannibal book is actually the weakest of the book of the novels too. So I wonder if that's why they brought in the heavy hitters on the script to try to make it better. Um, it it just didn't do it for me. Um, I actually enjoyed Red Dragon more, um, and which does make me want to see Manhunter because I've heard Manhunter is way better than Red Dragon. You know, I've only seen Hannibal and Red Dragon, I believe, one time each. Me too. And I think I remember liking Red Dragon more as well. But reading everything I just read about Hannibal makes me want to rewatch Hannibal like as soon as we're done recording. Um, give it a chance. I, I, I feel the opposite because I was so turned off by that movie. It. I mean, I haven't seen it in 20 years, Jeff. He this just, movie, he Hannibal takes, came out in 2001. I know. I know. Maybe I we weren't in the right too. frame of mind. We might not have been. Uh, 100%. Anything we missed? Um, we talked about almost everything, but I think it's interesting that very few movies actually get to shoot on FBI headquarters in Quantico, Virginia, and this was one of them. That's so, cool. uh, the opening scene in, where she's on the training sequence and... Probably because they were having trouble recruiting women in their life. <laughs> Let's, and, uh... There, the FBI was known for being exceedingly secretive and often didn't allow filming at their real facility. However, a rear exception was made for Demi and the Silence of the Lambs. So, um, I, I also had, this is creepy, Scott Glenn's character, or Scott Glenn, he, um, to prepare for Jack, Jack Crawford's role... He was working with Johnny Douglas, John E. Douglas, excuse me, who was a unit chief of the FBI at the time, and he was known for his work in criminal psych and profiling. He took Scott Glenn on a tour around the academy and shocked him with a truly gruesome item, an audio recording of a real torture and rape. What? Yeah. And so, oh, serial, this is the, so serial this is killers the, Lawrence Britaker and Ray Norris recorded themselves torturing a 16-year-old girl. And this audio recording is used by the FBI to desensitize its trainees. Wow. Yeah. You know what? That brings me, that reminds me of a story that I read about. That same, that guy that basically 
croc that babe that scott glenn followed around to like you know uh, doing uh-huh. his homework um they real heated actor following a professional relationship because i guess they both fell on opposite ends of the political spectrum yeah and like the fbi guy was all in on the death penalty and scott glenn wasn't <laughs> And, like, I guess Scott Glenn said the entire time the FBI agent was showing him things that your story rings true then um, about, like, the most horrible humans on Earth to try to change his mind about the death penalty. Wow. And wow. both of them, I, they, they ended, like, they kind of, I don't know if they didn't like each other or had a healthy respect for each other, but it was, uh, it was kind of fascinating to learn about. He uh, actually, Scott Glenn dug so deep into learning about serial killers he did say he was depressed for a long time after this movie he immersed himself a little bit too much into the world i I believe it dude i can't imagine and to to find out that 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 is on the list of things i never need to hear is that tape you just described to me (laughs) and wild it's 16 year old yeah that's the wild part that on top of it all it's a minor like what like what And they used the FBI used it to desensitize his trainees, and that's just wild. I, when I came across that, I was like, "Holy, holy cow!" And that is absolutely nuts. That is anything else um, we missed on your end? No, just that uh, Gene Siskel uh, of Siskel and Ebert fame uh, thought this was a terrible movie. And gave it a negative review. He said he found it campy and too gothic. Yeah, that's such a rough take. I'm going to go on a limb, Mark. That's a bad take. 30 years <laughs> later, that's respect, a bad, bad take. I, all the respect to the world for Gene Siskel, but oh, uh, you know, we don't, we don't all mean, bat it was a, a bad we, take at the time. We don't all this bat movie a thousand. swept the Oscars. Yeah, this it's is like it's this a bad take. It became a cult classic. That's an instant It almost bad feels take. like he's trying to like... Be the cool guy that's be too the cool, cool guy for that like yeah like because uh, and I don't really remember I don't remember how what kind movie. of word of mouth is because we were kids so it was the only I'm reading here he was the only mainstream critic to give it a a not positive review no but my point being like nowadays as adults we know when a movie has like word of mouth and it's you know right, a bunch right. of people at work are excited to go see it or whatever. I, I don't know what the, if if this movie had that kind of traction or buzz. I don't because we were kids, so right, right. Nobody thought it was going to win all the Oscars it won, so it smashed the box office opening weekend. Well, that's oh. good to know. So maybe so. that's why nobody thought it was going to win because they were like, "Oh, the artsy fartsy movies always." Well, win. and that's what and that's the point I was making at the beginning, where I think it's kind of sad. They, they want to know why people don't tune into the Oscars anymore because movies like this don't win anymore. But they don't People make like, movies. This movie's few and far between. Let's be real. That's true. They don't make. They they've the really most popular split. movies involve a superhero or they've a, really a, split commercial and art. Like or a sequel. Th- I mean, we talked about this during The Godfather about The Godfather being the perfect marriage of like art and commerce. This movie kind of is too. It's a very artistically well done film that's also a crowd pleaser, which is hard to do. But you're right. They don't they don't do that anymore. No, we either get the hardcore. Between. We either get the hardcore art film, which we pot about some of those on here. I mean, we, me and you like a good art film as much as the next guy, um, or 
the superhero movie. And again, me and you like a good superhero movie is, but it would be nice to have that kind of that, you know, that perfect middle of, uh, like we said, art and commerce. Well, we can always hope. I hear um, you there. So with all that being said, what are your final thoughts? Final thoughts, Sons of the Lambs. What do we got? One, I said at the beginning, I'll say it again. One of the best movies ever made. Uh, just, I This pod made me fall in love with this movie all over again. Just thinking about all the talent that went into it. An incredible script writer. And based on an incredible book. Incredible cinematography. A great score. An incredible director. And incredible performances. The reason I love film is it's a collaborative art form and it's the only art form where you get multiple artists or one of the only art forms you get multiple artists at the top of their game all contributing to make an even greater piece of art and I think that's so cool and this is a movie that absolutely holds up and I think it will I think 20 years from now this movie will still hold up. Well put. I mean, it's holding up right now, 30 years later. So, you know, I'm going to reiterate what I said at the beginning. It's pretty simple. Hannibal the Cannibal, Clarice, and Buffalo Bill. It's a very special movie for those three iconic characters. And it's a fun watch every time with this movie. It's just a... It is terrifying and is you know messed up as this movie is it's still a great rewatch and when i say great it's a it's just a fun watch because you know the outcome you know you know like you know right. everything about it i guess it, and you you're love, still on the edge of your seat you you love the the little cliffhanger at the end and you, you just love that you know clarice made it out and found buffalo bill and everything just it's, it's, it's a perfect movie, right? It, we talk about a perfect movie. This is a perfect movie. and really is. It, it was a pleasure talking about it. And, and on behalf of you and I, thanks again, everybody, for listening to another edition of Movie Tales. Hope you enjoyed our intimate talk with Hannibal the Cannibal. But uh, take care, and we'll be back soon with something fresh. <laughs>